Okay, are we ready? Let's do this. All right, so I go, Elizabeth goes, then Sam, you go. Ready? Hi, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. This is Marianna. And Elizabeth. And Sam. And And Sam. Sam. Thanks for uh, having me back. Yeah, we don't do it often, but uh, we gave in. (laughs) We got tired. Well, it's a special episode, right? It's it's a big number. What number is it? Eighty-seven. That's that could be a big number. Sure, it could be special. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, we only invite you on the big number episodes, right? <laughs> I, I think fifty was the last time I was on, right? Something like that. Although Elizabeth has is looking for guest hosts, so I was going to say yeah. I might I might have to step in a couple of weeks because I know uh, Stacy is going to be on Stacy Sargent. But, um, you know, I know Thomas had talked about it as well. So I think, you've, I think you'll be fine with the, uh, with the fill-ins here in a couple of weeks, Elizabeth. There's really? all these people that are dying to talk to me. Yeah. Well, you know, they, they <laughs> like the show and, and you guys are stingy about letting people on. So, you know, unlike our show, which no one listens to. So. <laughs> and in which you n- don't invite anybody to be on. Right, right. right exactly. More yeah, people might listen if you'd invite them. Yeah, but that's that's the thing. We really don't want to do that because it, it was, you know, that's not. It's a podcast, but it's more of just us, you know, kind of having a conversation once a week, and we give you the privilege of listening to that. So it's not really, you know, if we open it up to other people, it changes the nature of that. Oh. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just talking off the top of my head. <laughs> well, and Molly wants to be on, and then. I don't know. Elizabeth might get some uh, authors, too. Yeah, that sounded a little scary. I think you sent me an email about something, and I was like, oh, would I have to read the book before I talk to that person? Because my to-be-read book list is really long right now, and I just picked up another huge book to start reading. So, Elizabeth, we all went to college, and we, we know that the best way to do a book review is to read the Amazon reviews and you know, kind of extrapolate. <laughs> interview the author on air. Oh my uh, gosh, do we even want to start going about like Amazon reviews right now? Yeah, but then you can we could tie that right? into Star Wars right now too. But like, what? How could you tie that into Star Wars? Yeah, let's hear. Um, it. So Chuck Wendig wrote the most recent addition to the Star Wars novels. Right. It's the new universe. Yep. And he has been subject to a one-star review campaign. <laughs> nice. Have you heard about this? <laughs> no, I haven't. Is it yeah. from like Reddit or 4chan or something? Yeah, it's the 4chan people and, nice. you know, all these people who can't cope with the fact that the Star Wars universe is now going to include other types of people than they're used to reading about. But we want Mara Jade. She's redheaded <laughs> and she's hot and she's Luke Skywalker's wife. Right, yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that myself. I'm saying that's... The sentiment. Yeah. Right. And and the new trailer has gotten a lot of slack for that, too, right? Because of uh, you've got John Boyega, who was an African-American, and then you have Ridley, who is uh, Daisy Ridley, who was a female. And those are the roles instead of, you know, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. Which they're getting cameos, which is super nice. Um, (laughs) And I'm like really excited for them to be like part of like bringing the whole universe forward. But I think, I don't know, the the people that keep screaming, but my childhood, my childhood. I'm like, hi, you're not kids anymore. 
Yeah. So, well, I mean, and Star Wars is always kind of... Yeah. Let it go. Yeah. Star Wars, <laughs> even with the expanded universe that took off in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s <laughs> with all the books and, uh, you know, mostly books, but comic books and video games and all that stuff, uh, it was always kind of a, a problem for Star Wars that it was so, you know, white man heavy. Um, yeah. You know, and it's, it's you know, it's Star Trek went through the same thing uh, to a little less extent because they, they were, you know, kind of pushy in the 60s with, with some of Roddenberry's philosophies. Um, you know, but there's always that tension because science fiction for the most part is a, you know, white man's game for, you know, un- unfortunately. Uh, and that's Not anymore though. Right, and I was going to say that's definitely changed, but I think it's really changed in the last five to ten years, but it, it, it hasn't trickled down to the, you know, to the people who want to go on Reddit and complain about Star Wars trailers or, you know, who have the time to do that. Um, but yeah, and like you said, it, it's not that way anymore, but, you know, for the last 40 years, that's kind of what it was. Um, so it's nice to see that being shaken up and, and other perspectives coming in because I love science fiction. Um, yeah. And I need to do more reading into you know, where, uh, things are going in, in that path. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see it. I think it's a wonderful thing for, for everyone and good news. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to wrap it back around to what, what sparked this whole conversation off, which is that that's why I don't read reviews (laughs) for the most part. And we advise (laughs) authors not to read their reviews either. (laughs) Right. I'm like, I can, if, you know, I, I guess back when I was in school, which, Sam, you should be there with me, like, <laughs> we're in relatively the, the same age. No, you're... But, like, Amazon didn't exist. Yes, it did. So, like, yes, barely. Did. Yeah, barely. Oh, I, I, I've got so much... If I wanted CDs to know about a book, though, I read the Cliff Notes still. Yeah, see, Because that was still a thing. It, it was, but, see... Especially when I went to Yale, I'll never forget, uh, there was a book that we had to read, and I, I think it might have been Things Fall Apart, or... Oh, I love that book. I you know, but didn't I, read that didn't book? I read it, I read it, I read it. We had to read, it was for a religion and literature class, which was my master's, and we had to read a book a week, basically, for this class. It was a senior level seminar, seminar so there were only like three or four people in this class. So, you know, it's me, little Whitey from South Carolina, in this amazing class, full of these insanely smart people, and I read the book, and I get through, and I'm like, okay, that was good, but what the hell am I going to talk about in the seminar? <laughs> and you have to write a two-page paper that you present to start the class, you know, every week, and it's like a three-hour class. So I had the yeah. bright idea to go onto Amazon and, and read through what other people had said, and that changed the way I, I looked at, like, those types of books, where I, I kind of had my perspective, but I wanted to see what other people were saying. And yeah, but that was your graduate of- school. What did you do in high school when you had to read books? I read books. I know, I, but I that's what Elizabeth was talking about. Like, she did the Cliff Notes version, you know? We yeah, didn't no, have I, Amazon reviews in high school. We did in college, though. I mean, I, I remember that. I didn't really lean on them that much. But for, like, you know, looking at, do I want to study? Or, do, you know, when, when the professor comes in and says, hey, you have to read one of these six books. Which book do you want to read? Well, let me go see what people are saying on Amazon. Yeah, and I think that's really? one of th- one of the things that, well, I don't, I mean, I think Goodreads reviews are way worse than Amazon's. <laughs> well. I think people oh, well, are. They're all the cleaner. same thing now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
But that's another thing that I that I question is, you know, someone told someone told me the other day that they wrote a review on Goodreads, and I'm like, why didn't you put that on your blog? Why are you giving that content to Goodreads or Amazon? Mm. Maybe because you're getting more exposure, you think, but you know, you you're an education person. You have your own blog. Why would you put a book review on another? You know, or at least not just cross post it. I was exactly. Say, actually, like Goodreads has an option for you to do that. So you compose on there, and you know when you hit publish, it publishes to your blog, it publishes to Facebook, it publishes everywhere. So it's not necessarily that they're just publishing that content to Goodreads. Oh, I don't think this person knew how to do that. <laughs> well, they should learn because they it's should. really easy. In fact, that's what I do when I do book reviews. So you start off on Goodreads and push it out to other places. Yeah. 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 Well, and so there's a, a big movement right now, um, and, and not a big movement, but a movement in, in the tech world um, called, uh, what's it called? IndieWeb, I-N-D-I-E Web. And it's really popular around San Francisco and, you know, those places where Elizabeth uh, lives. But <laughs> Those cool places that we wish someday to go. Yeah, those people on the East Coast have to suffer with Facebook. But the whole idea is you, you have a blog and you write on your blog and you push it out to other places. And there's software now that does this pretty easily, um, whether it's web-based or you can write your own thing. Or, um, and that idea is called Posse or you know, publish once, um, syndicate everywhere. And I forgot the other S. But you know, basically the whole idea is you, you write your stuff that you keep on your blog. And if you want it to go out to Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or wherever, you know, for the most part, there are APIs now that allow us to work together and do those things. And I don't know about Goodreads, but, um, you know, it's, it's it, that idea. And I think we're slowly getting back to that kind of in the general culture um, because, you know, everyone's on Facebook and you know, everyone who reads is on Goodreads. So it, unless you write something really stellar, it's kind of it's like making a, a video on YouTube and wanting to be a YouTube star. You know, like that's not going to happen in 2015. Um, right. Unless you're a flash in the pan, right? So right. if you do it on your own space, you know, there's that chance that, okay, I, I'm not going to get a million followers overnight because I made a, a YouTube video or I made a blog post. But, you know, I've got this thing that I can grow on. Um, it's always been, well, you know, like thinking.fm. You know, it'd be much cheaper, much cheaper to uh, put this thing on SoundCloud or something like that. But I like having everything in one spot, and to see the numbers grow, 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 it's kind of nice. But if we, you know, exported everything out to another service, that's not going to happen. So it's a long-term plan. Well, and that's one of the things that, you know, is the best advice, and you'll see it in all the articles about self-publishing, is that you have to develop an audience, and one of the best ways to develop your audience before you get ready to sell your book or self-publish your book is to blog, is to have a following that, you know, you're kind of checking in with and then those are the people that become your first sales right but when i'm i i talked to two authors and i say they're authors because they're published mm. authors they're actually harrelson press authors in one of our comp- compilations and they're just putting their content this really creative fiction kind of content or memoir content on facebook and, I'm, and i was like what are you doing why are you just giving that away? Well, I want to share it with everybody. I'm like, okay, yeah, I get that. However, you know, share it via a blog or something that's yours at least. So yeah, think- they should definitely be building an email list with that content instead yeah, of just throwing it on Facebook. 
yeah, you've got to get people back for your email list. I mean, from a marketing perspective, that's that's where it at, where it's at if you want to monetize that. But I think the whole I want to share this and have as many people see it as possible uh, thing that people say is BS. Um, like, sure, there's some of that, but the real driving motivator for people posting that kind of stuff only on Facebook or only on Goodreads or only on Instagram is because they want the feedback. You know, they want yeah, the, yeah, they want they the want notification. The yeah, exactly. Yep. You know, if if this does not get 100 likes, it's not successful. And yeah. that's, you know, that's, that's really going away rapidly. But for people that, you know, let's face it, aren't as savvy and aren't thinking long term, they see the immediate likes and that's a dopamine release every time, you know. So, of course, you're going to, you know, have preference of that over doing something like trying to build your you know, personal brand or whatever you want to call it on your own site or your own uh, place. Well, yeah, because it's so quiet there. The feedback yeah. is really hard to come by. Right. But like a church the other night, you know, guy says, hey, you know, I was reading your blog and I really like what you said about blah, blah, blah. And he is not a tech savvy guy. You know, he's he's right. barely can operate an iPhone. Uh, but to hear him say that was like, you know, even all these years later, and I've been blogging since what, 2002, 2003. To hear him say that was like, wow, that's, you know, thank you. That that really validates. Cause, You're like, somebody reads my blog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And I know they do, but they don't, you know, I'll see the numbers, but you never hear the feedback because no one comments on blogs anymore. And for instance, that guy is not going to like it or place a comment on it. So you have no idea that he's read it. Right. No, because he's he's not not making himself a follower or That's right. He's not making himself known in any way. But he might like it on Facebook. That's what I'm saying. Because that's that's easy to do. And that's something that socially is, is, is expected of you. You know, even if, okay, my mom died this morning, like. You know, I don't really like that, right? but I've got to give you feedback because you put this on Facebook. Thank you for sharing. Um, and that's a different different medium, I guess, than, than what you're saying, which is think long term. Yeah. Well, yeah, and create something that's yours. You know, create a space that's yours instead of just uh, ending up in the feed somewhere. And I think I think perhaps the other thing is that it's, you know, the Facebook app is really easy to upload a picture and to write comments underneath. It's not that the WordPress app is really that much more difficult, but it does take a couple of extra steps. And so, you know, maybe it's just habit too. Yeah. (laughs) Speed. They did make it really user-friendly. And, and I mean, like Sam says, that's where the people are right now. Yeah. And blogging really got a, uh, not a bad brand, but, you know, we, we've got people like John Scalzi or, or Neil Gaiman who know how to use Twitter in those places, but uh, I guess as far as authors go, but blogging, or Amanda Palmer, um, <laughs> but <laughs> blogging has always had this, you know, guy in the basement with a neck beard looking at porn and, you know, with, with four screens going and he's playing Halo on this screen. And on this screen, he's, you know, programming uh, some kind of hacker code to break into the White House. You know, that to me, that's always been the perception that blogging has. Um, so even back in the day when I was paying my mortgage with a blog, you know, people would say, well, what do you do? And I would explain. And they're like, oh, so you're a blogger? It's like, no, no, I'm not a blog. I'm not that guy. Comply with that, please. Right. So, you know, I think for people who are trying to establish themselves as authors or as speakers or as stinkers or whatever you know when when you say oh we'll go to my blog um that has that undercurrent of well i'm not good enough to be in the in the newspaper and i'm too good to be on facebook so i'm gonna pick this uh form well on the office the other night mariana uh i think you'd fallen asleep but what's his name the young guy uh 
played uh Jim? No. Ryan. 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 Yeah, I forgot his name. Uh Ryan. The yeah. Um they're having a, a meeting about Saber or something and Michael has this idea and he says, Well we can do this and this and this and put it on our blogs and, and Ryan goes, No, no, blogs are dead, man, blogs are dead. <laughs> and that was from what 2010 uh so anyway I, I i laughed out loud when i saw that but i think there is a resurgence that's coming around in that i think people are seeing that there are some bloggers who are more successful especially i think in the writing world because we talk about blogs that we follow every week as people who are in the publishing industry and so i th- i think it's getting more credibility what do you think elizabeth I definitely, um, I see a wave in the pattern there. Like, I mean, it it was kind of one of those things that you're like, oh, you have a blog. And then all of a sudden, oh, you have a blog. That's awesome. Um, But as people figure out how to use it, you know, and like, and their content becomes more, um, more meaty, I guess. Then it's a little bit better now. But then, like, there's people that, like, go over the top with it. <laughs> and, like, some people that are, like, they blog five times a day. And I'm like, I don't understand how you do that. What else do you do? And does it actually make you money? Um, or people who blog and then they send you their blogs in their newsletter every time they do it. <laughs> and their newsletter is just an email list that you can't un- unsubscribe for from. Yeah. Not that I've had that experience. Those are just church That's newsletters. <laughs> Those are just older people who are trying to get people to click on their link. But you, I was just thinking, Elizabeth, you just did a big emphasis on your, on writing refinery to blog more. Yeah, I have been. I, I for like a couple weeks, I was like <clears throat> blogging every day. And then I'm, I'm like scaling back some to what is going to be more manageable for me. But definitely blogging more and and yeah it doesn't um preclude me from having to figure out what kind of content i'm gonna put push out to my newsletter too but but it's all like all of that information is geared towards the idea of like getting people to sign up for my newsletter yeah and then potentially clients from it exactly And I think that's the thing is that, you know, you're releasing tidbits of information in order to engage an audience. Um, And just like we talked about last week to talk to, you know, present yourself as an expert in this field, which you are, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And so if people hear you talking about it or writing about it or see you doing that, then, you know, when it comes time that they do need a freelance editor. Oh, wait, what was that blog that I read? And it's, it's all going back to that impressions. Well, even your authors that you were talking about um, releasing content on Facebook, like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, like, releasing bits of information if your goal is to attract more readers and maybe the platform needs to be different. Maybe they should be doing it on a blog where they can capture those email addresses um, more easily. Um, but, like, that's how you, you get your readers usually is by showing them what you do and well, by sharing that with them so yeah and this is an interesting phenomenon that i'm seeing okay so these are short works of fiction um or memoir you know it's just short works of creative writing that are being posted to facebook and suddenly they're getting feedback almost as if they're in a writer group of some sort 
But they're releasing this information to their Facebook friends. Now, okay, probably those are very similar to beta readers in that you're going to get mostly good feedback. You're not going to get any critical feedback. However, you know, what if that turns into something longer and you've already released part of it? You know, is this, in my mind, I'm I'm thinking, is this a marketing plan? Like, is this your preview because you're working on a, a longer novel? Or is this just something that you've been writing that you're just releasing immediately because you want immediate feedback? I don't know. Writers are weird creatures. That's what I'm saying. It'd be like you releasing chapter by chapter each day on Facebook. I kind of like that. I mean, I think, you know, for, not for everything, but I think it's, a, it's an interesting take. It, it, um, but they haven't been through an editing process at all. You know, this is just the raw stuff. Like that you would share in a writer's group, you know? Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, maybe that's the point, is that they don't have a physical writer's group that they go to, or a virtual one. So they're looking to Facebook to do that. Because, you know, I mean, writers are good at critiquing other writers, but, you know, maybe they want people to read their book, not, you know, from, from a reader's point of view, not from a, another writer's point of view. And it helps the word of mouth thing, ideally. I mean, that doesn't always happen, and it can shoot you in the right. foot. It's like Cory Dachero. You know, every novel he releases, even if it's uh, under Tor or, you know, whoever his uh, press is, he'll release it for free in a bunch of different formats and then encourage, you know, people to to um, put the text in other formats. So if you go to Cory Dachero's website, it's, you know, every single book has... 500 different formats that you can download the book in and read, or you can go buy it from Amazon, or maybe not Amazon, uh, or you can go buy it from the publisher or whatever. Um, if, you know, but if you my point is that that's not his initial writing. He's done some yeah, great that's that. true. That's true. I don't know. That's interesting. And so, you know, why, you know, you release the raw material to the public, and, and perhaps it's not completely raw, but mm, it, it sounds pretty raw. <laughs> <laughs> because I've seen some well, manuscripts like this. <laughs> There's a strange faction of writers that, like, don't want to do the revision work anyways. And so you just you just release what you have because it was cathartic and something that, you know, had a lot of emotion in it. And you just toss it out into the wind and see where it goes. Well, and <laughs> I, w- I will say this. What, what's the number one movie right now in the United States? The Martian, right? Oh. I was like, I don't even know. <laughs> sure, it's The Martian. It's a loaded question. I'm badgering the witnesses. <laughs> All right, so Andy Weir, when he wrote The Martian in 2009-2010, he started publishing chapter by chapter on his personal blog. And then he self-published on Amazon, put it up for 99 cents. It caught on like wildfire. People like me started reading in 2013, 2014. 2013, I think. And... Mm-hmm. You know, soon enough. It, it was in movie. Barnes and Noble. <laughs> well, it did. I think it took a while before it got picked up like that. But uh, you know, I think Audible actually started pushing it out. Uh, but he put it on Amazon as a, um, like you know, uh, kind of as a test, and he was trying to get a publisher for it. But it took off before that, so then a publisher finally stepped in, and now it's a Matt Damon movie directed by Ridley Scott. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that was a span of five years, but still, you know, it started off as a chapter by chapter book. So, uh, you know, I'm, it can happen. 
Yeah, yeah. and those, well, those yeah. are the stories that, you know, all of us writers who are no-names right, cling right. to. Well, and, That's yeah, what gives was, us the uh, hope. It was <laughs> Random House that published it. But uh, he's, he's doing another one now called Bonnie McKenzie, The Life Story of a Mermaid. And he's up to Chapter 7. And you can go to his website. And it is a very HTML, nerdy-looking website. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's galactonet.com. I was trying to find out. And, yeah, he's put up seven chapters of his next book. So I'll be reading that. And, uh, you know, but yes, he's got, a follow, he's got a following now. But when he started doing this at the time, he, he didn't. So, that's true. yeah, it's out there. Yeah, and I mean, there's, you know, again, back to the whole personal blog or other platforms to do that kind of thing. There's so many ways to do that, and people have been doing that for a long time. Like, Facebook is just one other medium for doing it. You know, like, that's what Wattpad is for, too, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's more of, like, a writer e fan fiction e site where, like, the people that go there, they go there for specifically looking for new chapters of or new books of you know other people that are just out there as we say hacking away but you know but but there's some good stuff out there too and people that take time to like really work on their craft before they publish it um and then there's the people that they just want the feedback and so that's where they go and they put their i mean i mean that's why you put anything on the internet isn't it though is to get feedback maybe you're not like I mean, it's in public space, so... Like, yeah, it's kind of like a soft release in some ways. Yeah, yeah. it's sharing information, right? Yeah, and, it, and that that could include feedback. But, yeah. uh, you know, what... I mean, looking at this from my his, historical mindset, uh, you know, you think back to William Blake, and we have these wonderful copies of his early attempts to write Tiger and, and you know, illustrate it in that strange way that he did um, before his final, you know famous published piece that that you see everywhere now but it, it's the writings and the working to get there that interests so many of us um you know from the historical point of view or, or leonardo da vinci's notebooks or you know early early manuscripts of biblical texts that we find in the dirt now like those are really interesting because they inform what happens later or the beatles one of my favorite i love the beatles and one of my favorite bootlegs is uh, a set of I think it's like 12 CDs. I don't know how big that is, but, you know, I've still got my CDs, copies. Because, um, <laughs> you know, the apocalypse is going to happen. But it, it's, called, right. it's called 30 Days, and it's the first 30 Days recordings of Let It Be and Abbey Road. And they're in Twickenham Studio, and you can just tell everyone's miserable. And they were filming the film uh, Let It Be, which was never released because it was so terrible. Um, you can find copies on YouTube, though. Uh, and this this you know set of CDs is so precious to me because it's it's the making of two beautiful things you know Let It Be and Abbey Road, which are masterpieces of humanity. Uh, so to go back and and listen to all of this music you know hours and hours of just them jamming and and you'll hear you know kind of a melody pop in you're like wait a minute that's something or, you know or or they'll play into you know, a longer version of She Came In Through the Bathroom Window that's kind of like a bluesy three-minute-long, you know, uh, alternative version. And you, you realize what people put into their works, and they didn't, didn't just go into the studio one day and say, hey, let's knock out the second side of Abbey Road. Um, so for me, documenting and keeping and, and sharing that kind of stuff, maybe after it's published, maybe not, whatever, is, is nice. And it's, it's a part of the creative process that I think we undervalue because we want whatever we put out there to be perfect and 
you know, the, the, the shining exemplar of our work, which is good, but, you know, it, it's not bad or it's not, it shouldn't be looked down upon, I think, to also put out your, your raw material. Uh, yes, what, but the people who put out that raw material put it out there after they're well known. Maybe, not maybe not. <laughs> Andy Weir didn't. I'm just well, it just some depends on whether or not he was. Um, but how many people read that? You and two other people, you know. And then okay. now people are going back after they know it, and after Matt Damon became his main character. It was on the New York Times was bestseller a bestseller list. Bestseller. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm saying people went back to that, you know, HTML site that you're referring to afterwards. They didn't find it through this. Most people didn't. Right, but the early Most people, people who found got it there. through the New York New York Times bestseller. The people that found it that then influenced me, and then I went and influenced other people. But those people were science fiction nerds, so you do podcasts, and um, you know I, I heard about it on a podcast. So I went and found the book. I, it was on Amazon by the time I got to it, um, but I wouldn't have heard about it if it hadn't been for those early influencers that maybe he re- he reached out to, or that um, you know kind of found it on their own or whatever. So marketing, <laughs> right? Well, but- yeah, so. I guess, like, what I'm, from sort of what I'm hearing you saying there, Mariana, what I what I think the point is, is that, like, you, you have to remember that, like, your work is, it's your commodity. So, like, um, so it just depends on, you know, what, can you use it for more? Can you use it? to gain more power, to gain more followers, to, like, build your platform differently than just, like, tossing it out, you know? Like, like did Andy Weir, when he started publishing chapters, did he ask people to sign up for an email list, I wonder? You yeah, know, like, right. um, so that people could be notified when the next chapter comes out, and then you're building your readership, and you're building your readership until one day you do put something out that is, like, you know, this whole piece of work that's been chipped at and, like, put together. Um, so, I mean, so the the method doesn't really matter to me. Like, you can put it on Facebook, you can put it on Wattpad, you can put it on your personal blog. But, like, the purpose of it, I guess, is more what matters. Like, if you're just putting it out there because you don't care and you you just want people to read something, then that's fine, go for it. But if you want to be um a professional writer like maybe use it for something besides just showing it to people well and that's yeah and that's my point is that these uh the people at least i'm dealing with they have aspirations to become a writer in the future of full-length novels or full-length books but they don't even have any idea how to go about starting that i mean you look at galactic Net, no, galacticnet.com. You know, there's already some for planning in that website. Even, you know, it's HTML. It doesn't look like a, a website, but it, it has enough uh, street cred, if you will, to have made it to podcasts and different things like that. You know, you don't hear people talking about Facebook posts on podcasts of this random person. And that's my point is that if you're an author, you have aspirations to be an author. You do some research as to how people become Andy Weir or <laughs> different people. You know, don't just release your content without a plan or, you know, some kind of forethought. Right. And that those are the people I'm dealing with, is the people who are 
you know, just don't know a better way. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I mean, they I guess been they can't bring back what's already out there, right? That's a good line from when Harry met Sally. Um, but, like, you know, moving forward, they could be more thoughtful, but they need they need somebody to point them in the right direction. Well, and it's the same thing that we talk about all the time with signing those contracts before you get somebody else <laughs> to look at it. Yeah. You know, this is another one of my, like, pet peeves, and now I've seen it twice in two weeks, and I'm like, what are you doing? Why? Why? <laughs> Why do you put this stress on me? <laughs> it seemed like a good idea at the time. Well, people really like my writing. I know they do. <laughs> this is the point. You're a very good writer. <laughs> and one day you'll be a good author because people like what you write. Well, and it's it's going to be interesting uh, just from the tech perspective as as mobile continues to take over desktop um, reading and writing and production and consumption. Uh, you know, people aren't reading books on their laptops; they're reading them on their on their you know iPhones or Android devices or maybe on a tablet. Um, but on all, all of our client sites, you know, mobile is already more than fifty percent at least, if oh, not yeah. up near seventy five percent. Uh, so, you know, if you're self-publishing on your website or something like that, think about that too. But also, I mean, just this week, Facebook put, put out kind of a, a big, bold uh, initiative where they're going, going to be indexing uh, every uh, post that, that has been entered uh, into Facebook because they're trying to catch up with kind of that live news feel of something like Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. But I know a lot of, of uh, content producers who use Facebook for mostly for video type stuff, uh, are excited because it, you know, if you search for, you know, dogs or, you know, biology or whatever, and you have content that's, you know, three, four years old, now that's going to start popping up as Facebook pushes out its, its quote, graph search. So, you know, whether it's Google or Facebook or, or Apple or whoever wins the internet, um, <laughs> you know, you've got to, you've got to keep that in mind too, because it's not, you know, it's not 2010. You know, you're you're not going to replicate Andy Ware's success, but or Weir, however he says it, uh, success because well, on one level, because the web is different now than it was in, in 2010. Um, I mean, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff was there, but they weren't kind of the the you know huge monolith silos that they are now. And as the next billion people come online in the southern hemisphere, um, you know, it's going to be through. Uh, services offered by Facebook or Google. Um, so, you know, keep keep those things in mind if you're planning for long term. But you're, you're dead on, Elizabeth. I mean, email newsletters are still the way to go if you're an author. Um, mm-hmm. If you have a thousand people on your newsletter list, you'll be successful. You just need that first thousand people. So, if, you know, focus and really concentrate on getting that, and then you can slow your roll a bit and let that percolate. But, you know, work really hard to get a thousand people on your email newsletter list. And, uh, oh, I'm so far from that myself. I know, but but it, it, it's <laughs> oh not God. a linear growth; it's an exponential growth. It's um, true, you know. So keep that in mind. But Facebook indexing is so good; I get to see my memories now. <laughs> well, I think wait, it's, wait. It's Are you talking post. about that book? The the Facebook book that. Somebody will make for you. Have you guys seen that? No. What are you talking about? Hang on. I have to look it up now. Um, No, it's this like book that people will sell you for like 150 bucks where they go through and like pull out all your Facebook statuses and like photos and stuff and make it into a book. Like an actual book. Yeah. 
like a that you put on your coffee table book. <laughs> Narcissism by Sam Harrelson. Right? My, wait, is it my social book? I think I just found it. Yes, my social book. Oh, yes. Here, I'll link it in the show notes. These are not hard Christ- to do. <laughs> Christmas is coming up, guys. Uh, well, people do Listen. put all their kids' pictures on Facebook now, right? So it's... This like is what you're getting from me for Christmas. <laughs> That's what you're going to give me? Please don't give me that. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Look, I can connect to Facebook and I can make one for you. Don't do I'm that. You can get the best of 2014 for 1999. But you're also giving over, like, all of your private information and your right? contacts information to an unknown third party when you I'm do I'm giving this. away Elizabeth's information. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh, we're going to get this from your mother, Sam. This is how people get hacked. Isn't that because, who, you know, who knows? Well, I mean, that that's creepy. But then where is this company? <laughs> you know, how who who was behind the company? Is the company going right? to be around for five to ten years? What happens to their database after or while they're in operation? Uh, because they have access to your account, you know. So think about that. Or just go on Ashley Madison and, and find a date. <laughs> if you're willing to throw away all your privacy. So weird. But yeah, so like, you know, Facebook's indexing and now you can you can have your memories forever in hard copy because, you know. Or you could just create a new account and just put up your novel in chapters and then have this company print it out. And you could do print we on only the man. pay sixteen ninety nine for it. That's pretty good. There you go. Well, for twenty five pages. Oh, never mind. Yeah, if well, you want your, more your than that, story. like you can. It's like a hundred and fifty for a paperback. <laughs> <laughs> never mind. Yeah. Then, right. Okay. If you paid sixteen ninety nine, you're gonna have to mark it up to thirty two dollars to get fifty percent profit. So. You know, $32 for 25 pages? Yeah, people will pay for that. <laughs> no problem. I do wonder if you can, like... Sorry, that's the dog. For somebody else's content? That would be really creepy. You can! I told, I told no, you. No, I mean, it, that would have to be for public posts, though, not for private posts. Well, you, yeah, let's hope you have your settings set right, but if they're public... <laughs> I have a dog that busted in. I do apologize. <laughs> well, mine's up here on the bed. Being all, I'm speaking of. Let's let's just digress for a minute. I'm like holed up in the bedroom to record today because, well, a Noah's home working today, and I wanted to make sure he could move about the house freely. <laughs> um, and then B, like they are have been tearing up the road in front of my house for weeks now. And they kind of stopped for a while, and it got quiet. And then yesterday, again, they picked up. And so, like, this morning at 7.30, there was this big steamroller and a whole bunch of other stuff outside my house. Because it has to be done at 7.30. Right. (laughs) So I was like, okay, I think I need to go find the quietest room in the house. And the floor still rattles every few minutes. Did you mean that you're in your recording studio? Right, exactly. Oh no, that's actually the closet. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Closets are great for recording. Yeah, actually, they're really good. We found out, but we also found out it makes you sound a little more legit as a podcaster if you say, "Oh, I'm in my studio," instead of, "Hey, right. I'm I'm in my closet." 
Well, and, and you know, don't forget that NPR has ruined podcasting for for this generation with you know serial. And, calls, yeah, they call their shows podcasts. Well, yeah. but they have a certain sound, and they work really hard to have zero noise in the background, or you know, dead sound, uh, as we call it, and and that's a whole you know philosophy of podcasts. I mean, but then there's a, another side that says, no, no, you want to have natural sounds and a little bit of hiss and a little bit of you know sound, uh, so that. <laughs> So that people Wait, can Mariana feel like they're typing. listening. Yeah, Mariana typing or breathing heavy or coughing. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> but you would never hear that on NPR. And they, they seriously have... They hold their breath. <laughs> well, they have a team that, that you know, works really hard to zero out any, any, any background noise. So that, and their studios are beautiful and amazing. And they have all the foam and the, you know, the, the uh, and, and echoing uh, chambers and that kind of thing. But... Um, you know, when, when people listen to shows like this, they think, oh, well, this isn't really well done, even though it's, you know, two hours of post-production. Um, but that's a, it's a philosophical but never mind. statement. Right. <laughs> so anyway, that's my rant about NPR, you know, quote podcast. <laughs> I think people enjoy the fact that when I get animated, I kick the desk, you know? <laughs> it happens once every six episodes, at least, right? Or you're, yep. you're tapping pen. Oh, no, that's not me. That's Molly. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. That's awesome. Well, but I do find it distracting sometimes. Like, it depends, I guess. There are certain noises I find distracting. Like, a little background noise of, like, you know, the pen or the computer, that doesn't bother me so much. But when you can hear, like, the... the There's some, like, when you can hear people's, like, lips moving or the way that their saliva works in their mouth, you know how that goes? Oh, uh, yeah, that's, that's no good at talking. all. I can't. I'm like, I can't. I can't concentrate anymore. What did you just say? <laughs> Drives me crazy. So, oh, everybody, take a sip of water so Elizabeth won't talk about it. <laughs> right. Or when people drink something on on the air or eat, and you hear their throats. <laughs> yeah, that's gross. That's not good. Oh, well. Uh, can we get to what we're reading? Because, oh my gosh, I just finished a book that overwhelmed me. Well, go for it. What you, what you read? I finished that book, Beatrice and Virgil, by Jan oh. Martel, who wrote Life of Pi. Yeah. And it's been a long, long time since I've read a book and I did not see the ending coming. Oh. And I just, I, I was reading the last three pages and I was like, what just happened here? It was literally in the na- last 10 pages that everything about the book, about the character shifted. And I was like, I did, I did not see this coming. <laughs> you and got a little bit of perspective that you were like, oh, wait, that's not what I thought at all. Yes. I thought it was this nice book about this author who was trying to find his creative energy again. And it wasn't. Because <laughs> I told you when I... Oh, my gosh. I can't say anymore. You just have to read No, you it, can't spoil it. <laughs> good gracious. And, and I told you that this is the book that uh, Sam and I found when we went to this... What was it? A, a, a used bookstore? <laughs> That's what they called themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's what they call themselves. And so to have this book have been found in that experience of the used bookstore is just, you know, it's just compounding the effect of <laughs> what on earth is going on here. Oh, interesting. So, so well, they, that, that's actually a really good review for it. So I'm like it, intrigued. 
Would you call it? I kind of want to get it out of our house (laughs) in case there's something else going on with it. What were you going to say, Sam? Well, and and Mariana got up last night and started rearranging the nursery at 1130. So I I figured something was going on. Um, Would you call this a MacGuffin? Yeah. Would you call it uh, a MacGuffin? Do you know what that is? No. You don't know what a MacGuffin (laughs) is? All right. So Alfred Hitchcock uh, created this... um, plot device where you would have the story like in North by Northwest, you have this very famous actress and I forgot her name, but the story starts off with her and it's like a bank eyes type thing. Anyway, she dies like 10, 20 minutes into the film and you're like, what, what is going on? You know, cause a lot of the previews and a lot of the early marketing stuff was about her in this movie and what was going to happen. And then the real movie kind of starts after that with, you know, kind of playing into that original scene uh, but then Cary Grant and, you know, those folks come into the movie. Um, and, and Hitchcock would do this over and over and over again, and people loved it because it's like this redirection. Uh, so I, I've seen a couple of movies, like a, the last James Bond movie was kind of like this, where something happened and you thought this was going to be the whole movie, but that gets wrapped up in the first 20 minutes, and then you have to, you know, see what happens next. So anyway, I was going to say, I, it sounds kind of like that, which, is, which would be cool to, uh, to see him using that device as well. So is it a MacGuffin? Yeah, I don't know if I would go that far because it's just a misunderstanding of the character. But it it was, I was discovering with the main character of the book, this other side to this character he's been interacting with for the, for the majority of the book. And so I'm not, you know, I came to the realization as the main character came to the realization. So I'm not sure it was a MacGuffin. So it's kind of like an M. Night Shyamalan. Yes, more like that. Like you're walking with the character so closely and then you're like, what the hell just happened? Bruce Willis was dead? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Or, or um, uh, what's that That movie that I can't ever watch again where you re- um, A Beautiful Mind? Uh, where you realize the character he's been walking with nobody else sees at the end. Uh-huh. Yeah, or Fight Club, you know, same thing. Or yes, okay, great example. <laughs> These are better examples. Yes, this kind of thing. Although you know, some people in Fight Club, I feel like you get some foreshadowing. Well, if you're if you're clever, but now I could go on for hours about Fight Club. <laughs> it was just your reactions as I was watching Fight Club that gave me the <laughs> <laughs> nothing. <laughs> is, nothing is real, and nothing happens in Fight Club. Like the whole thing is in his head. There's no Marla. There's no you know. Of course, there's no Tyler Durden. But, you know, Project Mayhem, all that stuff is, is just in his head. Um, the, the support clubs, all that. Uh, so it's like this internal movie playing inside of his head. And, and you think you're looking at externa- externalities, but you're really responding with him in real time inside of his head. And that's especially true if you read the book. But the way the movie was done, it, it, it stays true to that. So it's a brilliant book at that level because, you know, or movie, and you know, what you think is happening in the external world is really not happening. And you don't get that until the end, if you do, you know, and maybe you don't. But anyway. Yeah. Just listening to someone who was like, no, that's not what Fight Club's about. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was on The Office, actually. Was it? It might have been. I yeah. feel like Fight Club was. I feel like Michael attention. Scott would not get Fight Club. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, if you watch it literally. Which you guys... Are way behind us on watching rewatching that because we're already like on the last season. Yeah, we we tend to fall. One of us tends to fall asleep halfway through the like first episode we try to watch. So we we do a lot of rewatching. We just watched um, 
when Michael proposed to Holly. Oh, I cried. Which I, I did. Sam, did you did you know this that this is the first time I've actually seen the whole series? Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah. So, actually, it. what was the one we were watching the other night that you, Sam, you said I don't think. Sorry, it, it was the proposal. Oh, the, it was that one. Yeah, because I, I mean, you I, weren't I, sure you had seen. All right, I'd seen the first few few seasons, and then I saw the the, the last couple. Um, but there was you know like two or three seasons in there where I just kind of saw sporadic episodes. Yeah, and and you know I, I realized Michael and, and Holly had gotten married, uh, you know, as he was leaving, but I, I just somehow missed that episode. So so yeah, that was cool. That was a that was a good one. In other well, words, we need to catch thing. up <laughs> really fast too, because you know we're going to be a little bit preoccupied here. Yeah, coming soon. Uh, I don't know. I think you're going to want something to watch while you're. While you're breastfeeding, while you're like trying to rock the baby to sleep, you're like, here, just listen to a little bit of the office. <laughs> You've already heard this. Come on. Here's Don't Threat Level recognize? Zero by Michael Scott. Threat so, Level Midnight. Threat Level Midnight, sorry. Oh my goodness. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, we watched that one the other night too. That's that's a good one. That right. was a good one. Elizabeth, what are you reading? Um, so I'm still reading The Signature of All Things, but I've passed the 60% mark on that, so I'm, will be done not too long probably on it. And then, uh, yesterday when I was wandering through the library before the bus came, I discovered, um, that they had the first of the Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson. Um, so I grabbed that. It's like... 900 pages long <laughs> so I'm gonna dive into some high fantasy next and just like let myself be swept away by Brandon Sanderson nice I'm kind of excited so when you hit the 60 are you is this uh common that when you hit the 60 percent mark that you choose your next book uh well I mean I think so sometimes because like I'm always thinking about what I'm gonna read next um, so, but like when I hit the 60% mark on a book, I know like I'm invested and then it's going to go quickly after that because I want to know what happens. <laughs> so so like, are you liking it as much as you did before? Yeah. Yeah, I do like it. Yeah. I've kind of like hit this point with the character Alma where I'm like, I'm really pained for her. Yes. Um, Isn't she kind of awkward? And it's, yeah, and it's so painful that I'm like, I need to hurry up and find out how to Does she, is she okay? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah. She is a character that, oh, wow, it takes a lot to walk with her through her life. <laughs> it's true. Sam, what about you? All right, well, I, you know, I like to read multiple things at once. I like to have an easy book and then a hard book, right? Um, my easy as book. Long as What? As long as you don't give us 16 books like you do sometimes. Well, <laughs> so I just finished a, a good one, but we won't go into that. Uh, this one, so I, I'm playing with uh, Kindle Unlimited just so I can keep up on what evil Amazon is doing with publishing. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I've always been a subscriber to that. And I was, you know, just kind of goofing around on, on the Kindle Voyage the other night trying to find something to read since I stole that back from Mariana. Um, she wasn't hey, using it. that's coming back to me. Once <laughs> and uh, I found this book called The Secret Gospel. Uh, you know, I, I like the religion stuff. So this is uh, what's called a rousing religious conspiracy thriller. 
and uh, it's kind of like a Dan oh Brown, but it's got a it's got a little bit more brain to it. So it's about the the secret gospel of Mark and ties to the Nazi you know treasure hunters, and it's set in the modern day, and it's got some Catholic conspiracy stuff thrown in. Uh, and the guy who wrote it was a Middle East reporter uh, for years and years, so it's he you know he knows his geography at least. Um, so it's oops, sorry, getting phone call there. Uh, <laughs> so it, it's a fun, easy read. But it's is yeah. it Dan Eaton's? Dan Eaton, E A T O N, The Secret Gospel. All right, and then I was going. I love Neil Stevenson, uh, and he's got a book as of last year called Seven Eves, uh, which is a very oh yeah, you've been talking about that one. Yeah, very thick. I've got it right here, ready to go, and I was going to start on that because I finished my other book last week. Uh, but it's so long, and I wanted to get this other book out of the way first. So I'm, I was just started reading this last night. It's called Blindsight. And came out in 20, 2009, 2010. It's by Peter Watts. And it is a hardcore science fiction, like, uh, you know, like hard sci-fi type book. And nice. the whole idea is basically, you know, blindside is a real thing, right? It's, it's, there are two variations, like either, you know, people who are blind who can still sort of peripherally, you know, non-consciously detect objects. Um, you know, it's, it's a confirmed medical condition. And then there's also a type of blind sight where, you know, people kind of have a, a premonition of something and, and they respond to it, but it's not necessarily something that they have in their conscious field. Uh, so and it's not necessarily a, a physical thing, right? Perhaps not, right? So there, there's been a lot of studies, you know, on the visual cortex and, and that kind of thing to try to figure out, you know, and, and the cerebral cortex, you know, what, what's happening there. Uh, so this book kind of takes that and runs with it, and it's a novel set at the end of the 21st century, and all of a sudden these things show up in the atmosphere, and they burn up, and they come in this uh, graph pattern, so we, we know it's some kind of artificial or alien intelligence. Uh, then we pick up signals out you know, at the edge of the solar system, so we send out a, a probe, and then we send out a bigger probe, and then we send out uh, a manned, or a, a not a manned, but a staffed, or a uh, a vehicle with people in it uh, to go check on what's out there uh, to go meet the aliens, if you will. And <laughs> it, the the cast or the crew of this ship is uh, a guy with who's had half of his brain removed, uh, an automaton or a robot, and uh, a vampire. Uh, because in, nice. the mid, in the mid in the mid two thousand, there's a vampire. There's a vampire. We resurrected That's crossover fiction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we resurrected. Uh, Homo or, um, erectus uh, vampiris or whatever it is. I can't remember the, <laughs> the title because they had certain, uh, you know, advantages over us mere mortals. Uh, so anyway, we, we have to keep them kind of lobotomized so that they don't kill all the humans. Uh, right. But the novel, it's got that going for it. And it, it explores things like autism and consciousness and unconsciousness. And that's kind of the main theme is, is, when they meet the aliens, the aliens are, and I'm not spoiling anything, the aliens are not conscious in the way that we would call them conscious. So mm -hmm. it's like, what is consciousness? What is not consciousness? What's really happening? It's kind of like Fight Club in a way, right? Um, <laughs> and it also explores things like transhumanism. Uh, you know, do you need all of your brain? And, you know, what, what is your brain doing? How are you responding to things? Um, Interesting. Yeah. And, and then, you know, there are a lot of twists and turns, and, and the vampires take over the, the earth when the folks get back. It's not a spoiler. They set that up immediately. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a f fun novel in that sense, but it, it gets really philosophical early. 
and fast. Um, so it's, you know, the notions of consciousness as an interior experience versus uh, an external stimulus response and, and what that means for being human or, you know, what does being human mean? Uh, mm. So, yeah, it, it, it tackles a lot in, you know, 400 pages or so. Sounds like it. Yeah. So I'll, I'll hopefully have that done in the next week or two and I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> All depending on what we're doing in the next week or two. <laughs> yep. For sure. Cool. Well, that's a lot of good reading to offer our audience as well as good advice about not just giving away your content. Or if you are giving it away, do it on purpose. Yeah, give it away. Just do it, just do it on purpose. Don't do it haphazardly, please. Right. Well, it's not, it's not that you shouldn't give it away. It's that you shouldn't make the rich richer. You know, it's like don't make Facebook's bottom line richer. Well, there you go. That's right. a good way to put it. You know, give it away as a marketing vehicle. Exactly. exactly. Make sure that it, it benefits you. Yeah. Right. So, so if people have some content that they're working into a book <laughs> and they're trying to figure out if it's ready or if it's not ready, then how could they contact you, Elizabeth? Well, they should find me on my website at www.writingrefinery.com. There's links to my blog there, too. Um, I think uh, we finally got it to where it's at least posting the headlines for the my new posts when they come up. So that's good. Um, you can go to my blog and get lots of good um, advice or thought-provoking material um, for your writing. And then you can also find me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Pinterest, on Goodreads, and probably somewhere else that I'm forgetting right now. Um, but at Writing Refinery, I'm there to like say hello and um, discuss any kind of little problems with your writing you want to talk about. Um, or to, I also curate content on there. So come see what's going on. And, oh, this is what we totally missed talking about all this week. Nano people. Yes. It starts next week. Um, so, Sam, you better get over and sign up. Um, but look for me there too, because, because there's lots of, lots of stuff going on for Nano and it's time to go write your novel right now. So, so I read a, uh, briefly, I read a really uh, interesting take on Nano and, and that movement. And I would love to be able to talk to you about that. Maybe we can do that one week when, uh, that will be our topic. Yeah. Cause it, it made yes, me, because Elizabeth likes to uh, hoodwink people into the first time experience and then just interview them about their experience afterwards. Well, After, this was she's not done a, it seven years. Yeah. And this is not a glowing review of it or, 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 you know, what, what the sort of, uh, essay says that Nano does to amateur writing. Uh, so anyway, I just want to throw some questions at you and see how you respond. Oh yeah, we can we can argue about it because I've probably already <laughs> responded via a couple of blog posts. Oh, about I'm sure. It. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And Good. Sam, yeah. if, if we have some authors who are interested in marketing and website design and social media and e-newsletters, how could they find you? Well, uh, that part of me is at harrelsonagency.com. Just take out the press and put in the agency. And <laughs> uh, same family of, of fine products uh, here in Columbia, <laughs> South Carolina. So yeah, we. Um, we we work with a, a number of authors and and uh, groups like that. So if uh, folks need that help or want to bounce some ideas, just let me know. And you can find me at harrelsonpress.com, at Harrelson Press on Twitter, and Harrelson Press on Facebook. Thanks for joining us, Sam. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. See you next time. Bye. Bye.